Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Wise Woman Podcast. In today's episode, we have Taylor Elise Morrison, the founder and creator of Inner Workout and this beautiful new book that she just published, all about sacred self-care. And what I'm so excited about this episode is we talk about diverse routes to practice self-care, overcome burnout and stress. Taylor also guides us on the five dimensions of well-being framework, which I'm really excited to explore with all of you because I know it's going to support everybody who listens. Thank you all so much for being here and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Wise Woman Podcast. I'm so excited to be with all of you today. And my friend, Taylor Elise Morrison, who is the founder and author of Inner Workout. Hey, Taylor. Hey, thanks for having me, Erin. My great joy. I loved your book. I love everything that you are sharing with the world. And I want to start the conversation actually by talking about burnout, because I think so often it is the floor that catches us that bring us, brings us into the self-development, possibly spiritual path. So what? how did this all start for you? What led you to creating Inner Workout? Yeah, I, I feel like I say it all the time. I can't say it enough times that I come to this work really because I needed it. Not someone who's like always been calm, always been perfectly balanced. Um, I, I burned myself out. I was relatively early in my career and was working full-time, had a business I was running on the side, was planning a wedding, was volunteering at multiple nonprofits and trying to like have friends and be young in Chicago. And I kept burning myself out and I was approaching self-care the way that I heard it talked about in the mainstream and it wasn't working. So I started finding a different way. And that's a very hot topic there as well. I think so often when self-care is talked about in the mainstream media, and there's so many different practices, but it is what used to be sacred, right? It's like so many of these practices or what our ancestors passed down word of mouth that were actually going to help you come back into your body and calm down your flight, fright, or freeze. So when it comes to all of the noise that's out in the Western media and as it relates to self-care, what have you found worked best for you? Yeah, I eventually came to a definition of self-care, which is the one that I use and is in the inner workout book, which is that self-care is listening within and responding in the most loving way possible. And what I loved about that is it took self-care away from being this to-do list that honestly was like a list of tasks that got pushed to the bottom of my to-do list into this conversation I could be having with myself all day, every day, checking in, what can I do? What can I give to myself? How can I respond with love? And it also opened up a lot of possibilities for what self-care could be. Self-care can be saying no to a request that someone has that doesn't feel aligned, or it can be doing breath work. And finding the one that feels most resonant to self. This sourcing from self conversation is the thing that I talk about with my clients the most. It's even today I was thinking about how people will 
buy a luxury bag or start a new romantic relationship or work so hard to get the promotion thinking that that's what's going to help them feel better or make them feel happy or nourished. When in actuality, none of this is a one size fits all model and the sourcing from self is the thing that's going to help somebody walk themselves back home. So what were for you specifically, I know I love how you start the book talking about you were burnt out, everything was happening and you decided to take a bath. Can you bring us to that moment a little bit? Yeah, I still can like feel it like it was yesterday. I was trying to get ready. It was a Sunday night and I knew the next week was going to be really busy. So I was trying to get ready by planning out my week. I had my paper planner. I had my laptop and I was doing that thing where I was like trying to plan, but not really getting anything done. I was just stressing myself out more and more. And normally I would just kind of push through it and be like, get it together, Taylor. But something in me and something that night was like, no, we don't need to push through it. How about you just pause, step back and take a bath. And I didn't look at my phone or my laptop for the rest of the night until Monday morning. And it just became like such, I love the word that you used before. Like it really was a sacred practice for me where maybe I might do a little bit on Sunday nights. And then there was a moment where it was like, nope, laptop and phone go off to the side. Here's your moment to spend with you as you entered into the week. And it really started changing like the tone and, and the tenor of my weeks And then after that, I was like, wait, I need this feeling beyond just Sundays. And that's really how everything else snowballed. Water is sacred in all organized religion. We know baptism is the sacred ritual in Catholicism. A mikvah is quite sacred in Judaism. Even in sects of Hinduism and Islam, the washing of the feet before walking into a temple water. And even before we were hopping on, Taylor and I are both Chicagoans and have a deep love for Chicago. We were talking about how healing it is just to walk along the pier along Lake Michigan and how being by water is so healing. And that might not resonate with everyone. So it's finding the uh, your own remedy, what you know to be sacred for every single person. And in your book, Inner Workout, you offer so many different modalities to come back home to self. Of the modalities that you share in inner workout, which ones do you find to be possibly uh, maybe like the most accessible, like something that somebody can truly start once they end listening this episode? Yeah, there are a couple that come to mind. So one of the early practices is just like embodied hand washing. And it sounds so simple, but really we're often not in our bodies. We're very disconnected. We are in our minds and we feel like our minds are everything and we forget, no, we exist in a body. We're very integrated beings or we have the potential to be very integrated beings. So I love embodied hand washing because it takes something that you already have to do, or hopefully you are washing your hands and it gives you a moment to be in your body and to feel the water in your hands and to practice having making something kind of mundane into a multi-sensory experience. So I think that's a really good entry point because there's so many things you can notice about yourself and notice, oh, I have difficulty 
entering into this. It's hard for me to feel my hands. I actually don't notice the temperature of the water. Then you have a starting point. So that's one that I love. And I also always come back to breath. Like when we talk about accessibility, I'm really thinking, what are things that we already are doing and how can we make them a little bit more sacred? How can we make them acts of care? So breath, it's funny, I'm, I just came back from speech therapy and what we found is that I use my breath really well, but I'm learning how to use my voice more efficiently, which is a whole other story. But the reason I mentioned that is because a lot of people don't use their breath well. A lot of people don't use the their diaphragm and the mechanisms of their body to support them, both in the physical breathing, but also, as you know, I'm sure, Erin, there are so many ways that we can use our breath to regulate our emotional and our physical and our spiritual state. So my favorite is just like making your exhales longer. It's so simple. It engages your parasympathetic nervous system and you can do it literally anywhere. I'm doing it right now. I love that. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Tell me more about your everything you're working on with a speech therapist. How is that going? This was my first one. Um, and to make a long story short, I had some other health issues that were making my voice not feel great. And I do like my job is a lot of talking. I also have a podcast. I uh, work with organizations and I'm leading training there. I have personal coaching clients. So I'm talking more than the average person. And it was so terrifying to me to be like, my voice is not feeling the way that it used to feel. What's going to happen if I'm not able to talk anymore? And so there's a lots of lifestyle changes that I've started incorporating, but also working with a speech therapist and learning about really, it felt, it was so interesting. I didn't know what to expect, but it felt like a different type of embodiment practice where now I'm learning, oh, this is what it feels like when my voice is at the back of my throat. And really, if I want to be more effective, I want my voice to be going forward. And that's like awareness. If we would have done this three hours ago, I would not have known that about myself and my body, but that's something new that I learned. And now I have something new to listen to and respond with love. I love that. That's amazing. There's uh, I, my husband speaks, uh, he's, his Hebrew is pretty fluent. We've both lived in Israel on and off. And Hebrews in the back of the throat, it's it's like like a lot of and uh, it's deeper and something. And then we also speak growing up in Chicago. I took Spanish my whole life in school, which is a little bit more in the middle to front of the mouth. And I think studying these different languages has shown me where where your voice can speak from. And then this past weekend, I was teaching meditation all weekend. I found these. That's the cool thing about being in Austin. There's like a lot of ways to kind of share in person. And I noticed my ohms were much deeper. There was something about taking up space where I was oming, I would say even louder, but more guttural in my body. And it's that's so fascinating to me that this is, I mean, I would love to study that with a speech therapist. That's very interesting. My dear friend in Austin is also in a tongue tie, She's like going down the rabbit hole of tongue ties. So it's quite common for a baby to be born and their tongue to be like pretty connected to the bottom of their mouth, 
which would affect mm -hmm. latching, like on, on breastfeeding. And my friend says that so many of us have undiagnosed tongue ties, and that's what has affected our digestion or our neck issues or our headaches. And then this all is in the realm of our speech and how we're showing up. So I find that quite fascinating. There's something happening in this world where there's like another awakening occurring. But everything that you said, my one of my most unique sacred practices is changing my socks. It's like if I need to go from cleaning the kitchen to editing the book or coaching clients, something about just changing my socks brings me back into my body, similar to hand washing, which I also think is a very sacred practice as well. I know my audience is going to love the five dimensions of well-being. I found it very, it feels very important, this section of the book on page 45 in Inner Workout. Can you explain this framework to us a little bit? Yeah. So the five dimensions of well-being are inspired by the yogic concept of the koshas. And what they did for me is really help me understand what parts of myself I was listening to and responding to as I was taking care. Because my experience around self-care was a lot about really superficial things, like maybe, like you said, buying a designer bag or treating yourself. Or it was something for the physical body, which is great. We are just talking about our bodies and how there's so many interconnected things. And also we're these multidimensional humans. And if I'm only caring for the physical dimension, there's other parts that might be needing care. So the five dimensions of well-being are the physical dimension, which looks at your relationship to your body, which is another conversation. Your body speaks to you. And you're speaking to your body, hopefully saying kind things, but for a lot of women, we're not saying kind things. Then there's the energetic dimension, which looks at your breath. That's a little bit of what I was touching on. And also the way that energy moves through our lives. We've all had the experience of talking to someone and feeling so lit up afterwards versus when we talk to someone and it feels like we got hit by a bus. That's happening every day in these micro ways. And so how can we make bring awareness to it, but also better use our energy? Then there's the mental and emotional dimension. That looks at what comes into our body or into our brain and how we're using our brain. Are we challenging it in good, interesting ways? What comes out of our brain in the forms of thoughts, feelings, and emotions? And then that's all underscored by sleep. We often think that sleep affects our bodies, which it, it does, but it also affects our ability to think and to make decisions that are aligned, which leads us into the wisdom dimension, which is about our ability to access our inner wisdom in the present moment. We are the most powerful when we're the most present. And then we are able to trust ourselves to listen to our inner wisdom and to take aligned action. It's one thing to hear from your inner wisdom. It's quite another thing to listen to whatever it's saying to you and honor it. And then finally, there's the bliss dimension, which is all about connection, connection to the truest expression of yourself, connection to community and connection to something bigger than you. However you do that through a spiritual practice, through being in nature, 
through your own personal set of values. That is so holistic and powerful. And I think there's a lot of clinical frameworks that speak to these themes, but I love how you sum it up. You make it much more digestible. That's really beautiful. Thank you. And I think you and I share an interest in in taking things that are shown in science, but making them really practical and accessible for people. There's a lot of unnecessary opaqueness and like, I, I'm assuming you've read journal articles and there's all these words and you're like, why are people writing it like this? That's not how people talk. And if you want people to use these insights, then you have to talk to people. That's a whole other story about academia. That was a really hard lesson for me too. When I talked to my publisher before I started writing the book, they said, Aaron, write in simple English. Like, please, the mo- the best sellers out there are the books that are evergreen that sell quite often, uh, like regularly sell, which is something else that we were touching on, like sell every season. Use plain, simple English. And I found that to be very interesting because you're right, you read these academic journals and they're using these clinical terms that you have to have a, a researched brain or a good like you have to Google these words at the same time. How long did it take you to overcome or probably the best word is integrate your burnout? Man, um, I'll talk about my most recent bout with burnout, which actually came after I finished writing the book. And it took longer than it needed to because I had so much shame about being burned out. I was like, I just finished writing a book about self-care. How can I be burned out? I shouldn't be burned out. And in it taking me so long to admit it, it made the burnout even worse. And in my work, I, I often think of burnout as being disconnected, disconnected from yourself, disconnected from your community, disconnected from something bigger than you. So I would say that it took me honestly, two to three months of kind of noticing that stuff was off before I actually admitted it. And then after I admitted it, it was probably three to six months to really integrate it and to do the work myself, but also bring in my self-care support system to help me move through it. And when we're talking about self-care, because I, I don't think people really, we are recently understanding that burnout requires time, like significant amount of time. Where does TV and social media come into that? Because I'll notice for myself, I know I'm about, I'm overwhelmed or I'm stressed when I'm mindlessly scrolling because I'm, I'm kind of procrastinating. I'm on my phone. It's literally already in my hand. I need to post on social anyways. Where does reality TV or Harry Potter movies or TikTok and Instagram, it can any of this, I don't, I don't think maybe movies and TikTok should be on the same realm, but is any of this possible to be incorporated in self-care? Yes. And you, it takes a lot of like, again, going back to that definition of listening within and responding with love. 
you have to be really clear on what am I doing on social media or why am I watching this movie? And I think a movie is a cleaner example to start because like if you're watching a movie because it's like a comfort movie that you watch around this time every year or you're watching it with someone that you love or it's just one of those days, you know, when it's like a rainy day and it would just be so pleasurable for you to be tucked under the covers watching a movie that you love. That's very different from watching a movie because there's a conflict happening in your life that you don't want to address talking to that person. So you're going to binge the Harry Potter series so you don't have to talk to them. Mm. It's both could be watching Harry Potter, but two very different reasonings in two very different from my standings or or from where I would stand looking at that situation, one seems really supportive and one seems like maybe it's not effective. Maybe it's a, a, what do I want to say? It's just, it's a way for you to procrastinate from the care you actually need to give yourself. So for someone who's listening and their self-care practices are reality TV, scrolling on social media, Maybe and, and also maybe going on walks and having nice conversations, but they're kind of in that realm of when they get home from work or when they close their laptop at the end of the day, because so many of us work from home and they put on TV from 6 p.m. until 1030 p.m. Is how can this person begin their inner workout journey? Yeah, so. For the scrolling piece, there's a practice that I've recommended in the past called narrative scrolling. And what I would encourage the person, especially with scrolling, is to, you can do either do it out loud or writing. Notice what's happening as you're scrolling. So notice like, oh, this caught my eye because this person was wearing a bright color. I started feeling jealous because that person's on a vacation and I can't go on a vacation right now. And just really like externalizing what's going on in your brain and something about kind of seeing on paper, you're like, maybe you've curated your feed perfectly. And actually you're like, oh, this is getting me excited to journal about this. This is making me feel so proud of my friend who's doing this thing she's dreamed of. Or if it's all of the like negative, I'm jealous, I'm feeling bad about my body, maybe it's not a place that you need to be. So that's one thing, especially for the people who who are scrolling. Also, when you're really, by doing a narrative scrolling experience, it's forcing yourself to be present with scrolling in a way that we often aren't. So you might be satiated with it sooner because it's kind of like, when you have a single chocolate and you're really eating it and enjoying it and experiencing it, you're fine with the one Hershey's kiss versus when you're mindlessly eating them, you might need like 10 before you realize, oh, I guess I've had enough Hershey's kisses. The other thing that I would say for the people who are maybe zoning out on TV, it could just be as simple as like noticing how you felt before you started and notice how you feel at the end of the night. And maybe you just maybe you're just bringing awareness to how you're feeling before you do anything about it. Because I would guess in that state of watching TV, you're probably trying to disconnect from something. You're probably thinking that it's making you feel good. But when you actually, again, write it down, you realize maybe this isn't making me feel good. 
And then from that awareness, you can do something about it. And if you realize, I really want to feel relaxed, but this isn't relaxing me, then you can ask yourself, what would actually get me to that state of relaxing that I'm trying to get through reality TV? And it comes back into having that relationship with self, being able to ask those questions. And this is a muscle that I think people get better at strengthening over time. And it does require a little bit of an awakening. It really, it does. Because we source from our therapists or our teachers or people on TV or other influencers on social media. And we're not necessarily always encouraged to check in. In Judaism, we call this cheshbon hanefesh, which is accounting of the soul, the deep inner check into self. And it's why it's so encouraged to ask questions, tune inwards, get very clear. And it's a practice that you you can obviously learn early on, but you're not going to necessarily comprehend, comprehend that until you've noticed that what's working on the outside doesn't necessarily feel in alignment. So there is a big tether of awareness here. Yeah. And it can be hard for people to just going back to the hand washing. It can, you can realize, oh, I've, I've washed my hands however many times in my life. And this might be the first time I really feel like I am present in the experience. And a lot of the people that I work with tend to be these more like these self-aware overachievers who are always doing the most. And so it can feel bad sometimes if you're like, my only takeaway is that I'm supposed to be more aware, but I really want to encourage whoever's listening and who wants to write those things off, try the awareness, celebrate every time that you're aware. And I can almost guarantee you, it will lead you into something deeper, but you can't go there until you have the awareness of what is going on for you underneath the surface. So often I see people want to shortcut it, but you've got to start with the awareness that has to be the starting point for you. Beautiful. Awareness is really the most powerful tether in all organized religion and also spiritual practice. So I hope everybody listening is is really aligning with that because it's not a one size fits all model. Taylor, thank you so much. Let's pray and assume that this episode goes viral and it's shared with people all around the world. What is the wisdom that you would want to share with them? Yeah. This is such a potent question. And you told me you're going to ask it at the beginning, but I always like to like drop in and see what I feel like the people listening need. And what's coming up for me is that there is so much power in listening within. That definition of self-care that I shared, listening within and responding in the most loving way possible. Like if you practice listening to yourself, even if you can't get to the loving response yet, there are shifts that are ready to be happening. If you will just take a moment, 10 seconds, a minute, five minutes a day to listen to yourself there is a transformation that is like waiting for you. It's just below the surface. It just needs to be heard. Beautiful. How can we find you and what does it look like to work with you? Yes. So the best place to go is to Inner Workout's website, which is innerworkout.co. 
We have a free assessment called the Take Care Assessment that measures your well-being on those five dimensions. Um, and you can also get the Inner Workout book. We're kind of on social media at Inner Workout. I'm kind of on social media at Taylor Elise Morrison, but like the website, podcast, newsletter, best places to find me. Um, in terms of what it can look like to work together, we have an inner workout. We have our Begin Within program, which is a four-month group coaching program. And I also take one-on-one -on -one clients, um, mostly working with people at the intersection of care and career. Beautiful. I also love your book. It's so, the design of the book, it's so beautiful. And I love how it feels. Yeah, I was so happy. That's one of the biggest pieces of feedback that I've gotten is like right away. This is beautiful. And I love that because I think there's a lot of power in having something beautiful that you want to engage with. It doesn't, hopefully doesn't feel like a chore to open the first page because you've got this beautiful thing that maybe you want to set out. Taylor, I'm so grateful to be connected to you. I'm so impressed by your book. I know for me, it was such a fun, like I said to you, when we hopped on, I sat down and really read the whole thing in one sitting and thoroughly enjoyed it because it is, it's practices that you can begin with right away. And also ones that I haven't really thought of before that can be quite impactful. So I will link everything that Taylor is saying in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Erin. 